Welcome to the Forest FM podcast, episode 43. I'm Killian Vigna. And I'm Zoe Billow Springer. This week on the show, we interview Alan Stewart from Rainbow Room International as we focus on the importance of embracing technology and taking on opportunities as they come. Growing a business isn't always easy, but with the right mindset, anything is possible. Of course, as always, we top off the show with our upcoming Forest Academy webinars. This podcast is produced every Monday morning for your enjoyment with a cup of coffee and your day off. Now, let's get into the show. Good morning, Killian. Good morning, Zoe. So last week's episode was our mid-month blog uh, episode. So mid-September roundup, yeah? Yeah, so we were chatting about... Mid-September roundup? Mid-September yeah. roundup, yeah. Most popular blogs of <laughs> mid-September so far. So yeah, so basically we were chatting about ways to save money in, in key areas of your salon, uh, perfect salon manners, and also five ways that a brand new salon or spot could look established. These were basically the most popular ones within the last two weeks. Uh, well, we also announced the email marketing game plan ebook. Ah, yeah. Thank you very much. I'm oh, sorry, I did miss that out. It's on the website. If you go on to uh, the Forest blog, you can just type in email marketing ebook and you'll find it straight away. And this week? We have our interview episode. So, for our listeners in the UK and Scotland, you're probably familiar with Rainbow Room International, a hugely successful chain of hair salons across Glasgow and the west of Scotland. Founded in 1979, Alan and Linda Stewart's business has seen an exponential growth over the years, so much so that today they have over 10,000 clients who visit their multiple branches each month. And without further ado, we have Alan on the line to discuss the business's story, values, mentality, and so much more. Welcome to Forest FM, Alan. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Welcome, Alan. Okay. You're welcome. So, yeah, Alan, like, obviously quite a successful chain, um, what Zoe was saying there, she was only just skimming the surface, not even, I suppose, not even skimming it. So it's like, what better man to uh, to talk about the company than yourself? So if you don't mind just giving our listeners a little bit of kind of background behind Rainbow Room International and because yourself and Linda are actually husband and wife as well, aren't you? Yeah, we didn't start off like that, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was something that just that was a benefit that came along um, when we opened the second salon. But um, now the first salon opened, and uh, I came back from London, and we opened that on 1979, as your listeners have already heard. Um, and there only there, there was only supposed to be one. I mean, I was I took a huge unit two and a half thousand square feet and I thought if I'm going to do this I'm only going to do it once yeah. so it'll need to be big enough to be uh, keep me in the style that I wasn't accustomed to shall we say um, and that's really how it started it wasn't you know it wasn't an instant success it was a recession at the time um, I presumed that everybody would remember who I was when I left Glasgow and we just come rushing back, you know, um, once I'd opened my salon. doesn't happen like that in real life. Um, I opened the salon and pretty much it was, it was hard work, you know, from day one, as it is with any salon. Of course. Nothing's, nothing's easy. Uh, and it took quite a while, um, to start building up clients and clients trusting you again because you're you're obviously letting them down if you leave and go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So uh, they remember that and they get comfortable going to somewhere else. So until something goes wrong, 
with something else, then they might give you another chance and come back and see you. That's what happened. But we worked really, really hard through the recession. Um, some people were successful and stayed with us, and some people weren't successful, didn't like what we were about. We were taking longer appointment times. Um, back then, we were trying to give people a much more uh, service-orientated visit, uh, which was way before its time. Yeah. yeah. So it, you were trying to change the whole the whole way of doing things. We were sitting down talking to clients back then, and clients some some clients found it intrusive. Some clients thought it was great, <laughs> but. You just had to keep winning people slowly but surely mm. over to the way that I wanted to work. And I wanted to work with um, with clients that appreciated what we're trying to do. We're trying to use psychology and get to know them, get to know their hair habits. And, and at the same time, teach the new staff that this was the way it was going to go. Um, when most people were doing 15-minute appointments. Yeah. It's a quick turnover, essentially. And I find that amazing because even though we're talking about like encouraging salon owners to be more uh, about the service economy and the experience economy, you were already doing this nearly 40 years ago and in introducing the, uh, mm. the psychological styles. So was that something you picked up in London yourself and brought back to Scotland or is this something that you had just always felt necessary? I saw bits and pieces of it in London from different uh, stylists that I worked with. I worked in Harrods as an art director, uh, and there was one or two stylists there that who were also art directors um, that were putting a lot more into the visit, and it appealed to me rather than this, you know, churning them in, churning them out type of thing that we were we were used to um, so it was it was something that had started you were getting little pockets of it in London it wasn't happening everywhere yeah um, so it was it was something that we brought back and and I thought right okay we'll try and look to see who's doing the best of what and bring it back to your your hometown as it were so you're always learning, always kind of picking up the new schools or new skills, sorry, <laughs> taking up bits and pieces here and there and just bringing it all back. So how do you translate that when you have 12 branches now? How do you like, obviously, you're just one person. You can't be in every branch. So how do you translate that into your branch managers and their staff, basically? Well, most of the people who have got a salon with us um, were um, first generation people, you know, they they come to us. Um, I was doing shows um, up and down the country, and I was doing shows abroad, and we basically sort of just we had an open day, invited what I thought were all the best hairdressers, and we I talked to them for half an hour and said, "This is the direction." We are taking, if you want to come and join us, you know, there's a space for you. If you don't, that's fine. Mm. 
we'll still meet in the pub and we'll still have a drink, you know. <laughs> um, and there was quite there was quite a few people that had had seen the foresight and said, no, this is something that we think we could be involved with. And slowly but surely, we attracted um, quite a lot of different people from different areas: Manchester, Newcastle, London. And just people were bumping into you, as they do in the hairdressing and beauty um, world. You know, you bump in, you meet new people, mm. you talk. You know, some things are, are favourable to you and some things aren't. Um, and that's how it began. So pretty much everybody who has a salon are people that started out originally with us and just one by one, after somebody got a salon. Linda was the first one to ask for a salon. And as soon as we had a place, um, became vacant quite close to us, uh, we decided to open the second salon. And I think from there, everybody thought, well, if Linda can do it, we'll do it, you yeah. know? Yeah. And the thing just had a, an organic thing since then. It wasn't something that I have to say... I had a burning ambition to do. As I said, I only really wanted one salon. I thought that would be big enough. I thought we could control it. And if we filled that, I was, that was pretty much the dream at the time. But when we opened the second one and that one started to work, you, we had already developed systems that probably were there in bigger companies. There was career systems, um, let's say, in Steiner's and, you know, that kind of size of company at that time. Yeah. Um, but there really wasn't so much of that in a one, you know, a one-person salon. But we started to develop it. We thought, well, we'll need a system if, if we've got two salons. So we might as well create a system for for growth and allow people to move up the career ladder um, as and when they want to do so. Mm -hmm. So did it take long for this to kick in? Because I know at this stage now you'd have had your single salon kind of for a while and then Linda came on board as, I suppose, the first of your branch. So the first person to open the second it was, salon. It was about five years. And yeah. And in the in the first five years, well, we we went through the almost bankrupt stage. Um, you know that fateful call one day when the bank manager calls you over and says, um, "You're not making enough money." Yeah. And you're spending more than you're bringing in. <laughs> and for some people, um, that could. And so, suddenly you realise, oh crap! You know. But you knew you were onto something at that stage, so like for, well, I think, for a lot I think of... we still believed in in what we're trying to do. The, the The problem is with bank managers, as you probably know, that it's all very well believing in what you're doing, but they want to see the bottom line looking a bit black as opposed to quite bright red. Yeah. So <laughs> how how did you manage to progress from there? Because that that's a scary that's a scary call for any any business owner, not just salon owners. And there's quite a few people who do always experience that at some stage of their life. But for you to 
end up growing into 12, uh, 12 branches from there. And, like, and, and being a first choice for celebrities even. Yeah, like how, how did you manage to get yourself out of that? Like, Because like you said, you can have a dream, you can have a vision, but the bank manager isn't going to buy that. I think one of the, you know, when we analysed what was happening, you know, I would be, um, it's nice to get asked to go to Australia. It's, it's nice for somebody to give you a cheque you know, um, and you think, oh, this is great, you know, I'm doing all this, I'm flying about here and I'm flying about there, but um, how come the salon's not getting busier? And your, your people need you, that's, yeah. that's for sure. Um, you're the main leader, you're the motivator, um, and I think at that point you have to sit down and say, right, well, what, what is my function um, I enjoy what I do. I'm really creative, but at the same time, you, you have to learn about business. And I have to say, I probably didn't know anything about business at all before I started. You know, yeah. Um, I previously worked in the stock exchange, which gave me a little bit of insight into bookkeeping. Um, and it was only when I started to really understand the numbers. And I just went everywhere that had education. Yeah. You know, we just went and became education junkies. And certainly by the time we had the second salon and Linda was with me, um, she became an education junkie as well. And we said, right, we, we want to know every number that, that is important in a hairdressing business. And we started to study it and went everywhere to learn it. But that's that's a key trait to most successful business people, not just business people, just successful people in general, because as soon as you become content with who you are and what you know and what you're doing, you're going to get stuck in your rut. You're going to be passed out. But with you and with Linda, you had that, I suppose, that thirst for education. And that actually reflects true right through to you, your management and your staff, because you actually have your own training academy as well now, don't you? So it's like, yeah, for you to progress, did, we, you have to keep we, learning. We've always done, we always did train our own, our own people. Um, you know, in the old the old system, you did it at night time. And, you know, sometimes if you had a quiet day, you did it, you know, you put an extra training. But it just got to the size where we needed to make a commitment. Mm. Um, if we were going to grow at all, we needed to have a proper uh, system, luckily, I had one of my girls in the original salon that said, if there was ever a space for me, um, I would really like, she ran all the assistant training yeah, um, and took the work experience and she was doing a great job at it. You know, she selected from work experience the people who would be her new apprentices. And pretty much she was left to her own devices. She now runs the whole academy here and, and she's done a fantastic job. So it was a case of, you know, if ever the opportunity came up and I said, right, you know, we've got 7,000 square feet. Do you think you can handle it? (laughs) (laughs) That's a massive challenge. She said, I'm up for it if you'll give me the chance. And, you know, and she hasn't looked back. We haven't looked back. She does a great job. Um, And she just lives, eats, eats and breathes 
education, you know. That's fantastic. And develops our, our tutors and our trainers. And it's now, a, it's now a, a machine that just keeps going. But everybody has that. I mean, she was my assistant originally. And, and so the ethos is, is right through to, I reckon if you cut her open, you know, it'll be education would come out of it. You know. <laughs> Yeah. So you've mentioned three things there so far. Uh, you've opportunity like that. You said if you've got seven thousand uh, square acres, would you do it? Yeah, take it. You've got education, and then you've got growth. So I suppose that just kind of brings us into, in terms of growth, um, online bookings, which is I suppose kind of the, the theme of this year because, like we said, you've twelve. You're a branch of twelve salons, and you see the importance of online bookings for growing your business. It's like the whole Red Queen, you can keep running and running and running on the same spot. Mm. You're not going to move anywhere. But you need to adapt. You need to be flexible in order to actually move forward. And you saw that opportunity for growth with online bookings. I think at the time, computers were starting to creep into businesses. We had a lot of, if you call the first generation of um computer people, you know, here exhibitions. Yeah. Um, and I had, we used to handwrite everything. Um, you know, if somebody bought a coffee, you would count the coffee. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and there was never enough coffees paid for <laughs> until eventually you go, this is, this is breaking my heart. Let's just put the price up and give everybody a free coffee, for God's sake, you know? Um, because counting it is becoming laborious, you know? Yeah. And it just gives you a headache when when you know that most people have, haven't paid for it, you know? So you, you logically work these things out. But when, everybody, when it was the first generation of computers, I kept asking people, I said, well, you know, does this do online? Oh, oh, yes, it does. Yeah, ours, ours does online. So I would say, well, let me see it working. And it wasn't online. It was an email. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah. That's a starting point. And, yeah. You know, and I, and I would say to them, look, if I'm going to put a computer into my business, I want it to do what I want it to do. I don't want it just to count stock or count how many haircuts I've done or whatever. Um, I said, it's got to be able to, to, to do, um, take clients, because that was happening. People were, were booking online for things. Um, and that was a way back just after 2000. But we, we just had, you know, nobody that could prove to us that, that they had an online system. Mm-hmm. Um, so we thought, Right, okay, it's not out there. We'll go and we'll hire a company to make our system and get a quote from a few companies. And you learn the next lesson that we're in the hairdressing business and we're not in the technology business. (laughs) (laughs) Because we thought that it was going to cost something like 25,000 and 150,000 odd pounds later, you still haven't got a system. Yeah. Um, which is a bit scary at the time. But we did end up with an online booking system and it did work. Most people were doing it from their desktops. 
back then and it went fully live after the pilot session we probably went fully live in 2006 um, with the with the whole system mm -hmm. across all of the salons so we were adamant that we were going to you know if we're going to put technology into the salons it had to it had to be able to deal with us because people were there were you know you had easyJet you had you know the airlines who had really cultivated it and started it hotels had online booking so to me it was it was a no-brainer you had to have this but it just wasn't available yeah so we did spend an awful lot of money um but that's the learning lesson that you learn yeah okay? um but i suppose the fact we gave we gave people an incentive to to book online we didn't do it with the beauty because it was problematic yeah um having the two systems working next to each other back then and we didn't do it with the academy either because it was problematic um but we did we did introduce it and slowly i thought if we can get this to 30 percent then it will free up my reception to be more like a hostess than just answering telephone calls and when we got to 30 percent we had a huge celebration and thought we were doing brilliant and at that point, somebody turned around and says, um, your system can't be supported anymore because it's all dating. And I went, oh my God, here we go again. But luckily, um, by that time, my sister-in-law was involved in the technology business mm -hmm. and she started to look through all of the different systems that were out there and forest was one of the ones that we thought that were way ahead of everybody else um so we scrapped our own system because eventually it just ground to a halt and it wasn't supported um by anybody um which happens to technology but at that point we were heading towards 50%. 50% of your bookings were taken online at that stage? Yeah. And that was, so that came from you looking outside of the salon industry. So like you said, you were seeing airlines and stuff doing the booking. You'd never have seen this in salons, but you were thinking, how can I, why can't we do it? So mm. that's, that came from you looking outside of your own industry. That's right. Yeah, that's amazing. And so today, you see, today, like, there's a lot of uh, there, there's many hair salons out there that are still reluctant to take bookings online, uh, because one of the reasons is that they feel that it's not right for the business and that hair services are kind of unbookable online. But you have a different approach. I was looking at it and it says so. If you go online, you can book a color from say fifty pounds, but it might not actually be fifty pounds. It might be a little more. Or um, so how did you manage to to make it work for you in in that kind of sense? Well, I think, again, you, you look back to where you've been. When I first went to London, before I went to London, everybody did their own cuts and everybody did their own colours. You know, that was normal practice. Mm. Um, and that's how you made more money. If you did more technical work 
as well as had a lot of um, design cuts, then you made lots of commission if you're working for somebody. But the people that just did haircutting had to do more haircuts to make the same money. So effectively, when I went to London, it was the first time I'd ever come across colour technicians. And I had a, I had a lovely colour technician that I worked with, um, a girl called Jane. And I used to say, Jane, do you mind if I, you know, I've got, I've got 20 minutes here. Can I do my own colour? She says, I'm over booked, Alan. You can do whatever you want, you know? <laughs> so I eventually took my own assistant from Glasgow to London and we started to do all our own colouring, which nobody had done before. So essentially what I understood about online booking is you cannot have a client trying to get a colour with Samantha, who does the colour, and she's only got a space at 11 o'clock, but John does the cut, and he's not free until 2 o'clock, mm. that, that's just not going to work. It has to be, if you look at the airlines, you get a seat, and you're either on that seat or you're not on that seat. <laughs> yeah, so, that's a good way of putting um, it. <laughs> to, to me, the, the old system was the perfect system. You have a 45-minute space, and that's that's what you're doing. Now, you might be in for three hours, but technically speaking, you just have a 45-minute space. Yeah. And we still work with our technical assistants, you know. Um, if we're free to do the colour, we do the colour. If we're not free to do the colour, then our technical assistant, you know, who's trained to do the job and qualified, they do the colour. So... Essentially, we still work the way we did in 1979. It hasn't changed anything. Hmm. Um, yes, we spend more time talking to people if it's a first-time visit. Um, but that's about the only thing that's different. The, everything else is the same. So essentially... So essentially, when people come in or book online, first of all, and then they come in, you basically have to amend every booking so it's manually. A con- consultation. No, 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 we don't. We don't. We don't change any booking. Okay. So you just. You know, you, you do, we just work to forty-five minutes. Every client gets a forty-five minute space, and that's it. That's okay. what we do. So, Alan, have you ever found like with the online bookings? Like, I could come along and I could book an appointment with you, but because I've booked it online, I haven't actually spoke to anyone on the phone. I might necessarily just, I suppose, dismiss the booking and just kind of not turn up. Like, do you have a way of securing those any bookings that come online to reduce no-shows or cancellations, or is that an issue you have? Oh, no, we charge them. If they don't come in, we charge them. Uh, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, do you you hold the card details or something like so? The card details are requested through the online booking, or is it a deposit, or is, is that how you run it? No, they they have to put their they have to put their um their card details in to mm. book the space, and uh, you know it comes up if you don't show up, we will charge you, you know, a cancellation fee, yeah. and that's what we do. Dead right, straight to the point, and as long as you've terms and conditions to our And I, I have to say, but, but without that, the funny thing is, I mean, all of the data, because we crunch data 
all the time as you can imagine. Yeah. And we've been doing it for years. You have less no-shows with online booking than you do with phone calls. There's very, the, the, the amount of no-shows with online booking is minimum. It, it's not even 1%. Wild. That's insane. So it's essentially a 99% booking rate mm. with online bookings. Yeah. I mean, genuinely, you do get, um, you know, the client can change her booking. She could, I mean, things happen, you know, especially, you know, young mothers, you know, their kids get ill. We've yeah. all had them, so we all know that happens. Um, you know, their kids can be ill first thing in the morning, you know, and... And stuff just happens. But they, if their if their child's if it's twelve o'clock at night, and they phone before then, or they can change their appointment up to twelve o'clock at night, um, if they think they're not going to make it the next day, they can change it for another day. Yeah. That's that's allowable in the system. Um, but once it passes twelve o'clock at night, then unfortunately they're going to get charged for that. But if the client phones up and says, "Look, I'm terribly sorry, Johnny was ill." you know, had to take them to the doctors, then no worries. You know, we're not going to charge people, you know, for that. Yeah. You just have to cover yourself, yeah. Like, we're, we're, all we're doing is, you know, the people that would abuse the system, we're, we have a system in place that um, says no. I mean, sometimes we get, and we know, again, because we crunch details, we've had clients booking three appointments in three different salons. So I mean, online bookings is clearly an approach that that has worked for you. And um, how do you how do you kind of promote the 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 fact that you have it? Is it just through social media, or do you uh, advertise it through your emails uh, and SMS at all? Well, in the beginning, you know, if we go back to two thousand and six, as mm-hmm. I say, when it was mostly desktop stuff, we we created an incentive. We wanted people to uh, to book online, so we we discounted their visit um, by four pounds fifty, I think it was, and in, in these days, and we left the incentive there. And a lot of people, that was enough. You know, you constantly you're constantly telling your staff to do it. You know, hairdressers are hairdressers, and at the end of the day, some people do it better than others. Um, but when you're constantly showing your team the statistics of, you know, online booking people are much more loyal, um, they book more regularly, hmm. uh, and you can prove all that to your team that that's what an actual fact happens, then you can you can ad- adjust them. But I have to say, like everything else with technology, it's moved on a lot. Yeah. And by the time we had the academy up and running with it, we didn't have any incentive because now it's expected. Yeah. Um, and we don't have an incentive for the beauty either. It's only a legacy of we've always done it in the hair salon, so we're kind of, and I'm sure if we tried to take it away, everybody would complain, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's always a good thing, isn't it? If you don't know what to fix, break it first. And when someone complains, but you know we, it's working. We, we haven't had to do it. And I think the the beauty's had it now for two years. And that's that's probably at 34%. And the academy, 
which has only had it for about a year and a half, is at 32%. That's absolutely so brilliant. It's, um, I mean, these were figures that I, w- I would have been delighted with years ago. Now I've got salons that, I mean, it varies. The average across the board is 52% across the group. But I've got some sounds that are doing 67%. Of online bookings? Of online booking, you know. So that's clearing up a serious amount of your reception as well. Oh, it does. I mean, reception's now, now freed up to, you know, because so much bureaucracy and everything else, yeah. you know. You've got, you know, the hours, the all of the, the new legislation that's in, in place for staff hours, for staff working overtime, all of the things that were never there a decade ago, certainly not two decades ago, you now have have got to dot the I's and stroke the T's. And sometimes I wonder how small salons manage to do it all because we we are a reasonably, we're not huge, but we're a reasonably big operation and we can afford to have staff um doing all the, the, the bean counter stuff. But it's, it's, it's a lot of bureaucracy involved in running a business. It's, yeah. you know. So, Alan, just like, it's been absolutely fantastic. Like, I can't believe you're saying you're getting your online bookings from like 50 to 67%. You've obviously utilised the paradox of choice with your categories. So where some salon owners would have the fear that, well, I've got hundreds of services. I can't put them all online you're actually categorizing them and kind of doing consultations from there. But just like for any salon owners who've yet to embrace um, innovation, technology and kind of f- ways to move forward and like yourself, the online bookings for growth, would you have any advice for them out there to in terms of moving forward? I, I mean, the hairdressing and, and beauty is, you know, most people are really open about about their businesses. I, I don't think I've ever been refused from anyone, anyone you know, in London even, um, if I've wanted to go into, you know, a Tony and Guy salon or Fidel Sassoon's or um, any salons in London. I've just turned up, knocked on the door and said, hi, I'm Alan. I'm from Rainbow Room. You might know me, you might not, um, but I'd love to see how you run your salon. Most people are really um, pleased to show you around their business. Uh, so for anybody that was a bit afraid of it, yeah. all, all I would say is go and find somebody who who is good at doing what you think you want to be doing and speak to them. So essentially finding a mentor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and most people are really okay with it. I mean, you obviously phone them and, and you know, get get half an hour of their time or an hour of their, t- their time. But at the end of the day, if, if that's what you want to do, if you want to do the creative stuff, you know, don't waste your time trying to reinvent the wheel. Just go and speak to somebody and, you know, that's creative and see how do I do this, you know? And I'm quite sure they'll share their, their story with you. Um, and it's the same with technology. I think that if you go and ask people, um, I certainly wouldn't be putting in the very first system. I mean, I was quite lucky that I did have a, a sister-in-law who was one of the first people that started up with AOL in London. 
um, and then was headhunted by a company called Digital Bridges. So we were a little bit fortunate that we had somebody at least understood the language of technology. But at the end of the day, as I'm not a technophobe by any manners, I, I know what I know what I'm trying to get. Um, and I, thinking back all these years ago, I wanted online booking, and on hindsight, maybe I didn't choose the right company at the start. But at least we were, at least we got online booking before MDLs did, and we were ahead of the game, as it were. It but was now, a step forward. Nowadays, with kids growing up, they expect it. Yeah. You know, the new, you know, 10, 11, 12-year-olds are all running about with phones, you know, maybe <laughs> even younger than that. Oh, yeah. Um, and they all expect to find you online, and they all expect to put you online. That's absolutely brilliant, Alan. And I love the way you just said, go knocking on doors, because... If you don't, where some people might feel like you're stepping on toes, it really is. If you don't ask, you don't get. And you just have to look outside your industry sometimes as well for that inspiration. Alan, thanks a million for joining us on the show. It's been absolutely brilliant. And some great insights to Rainbow Rooms Internationals in general. Like yeah, even just a little love story in the middle of how you met <laughs> Linda, your wife. <laughs> oh, that was a bonus. That, that definitely was a bonus, yeah. <laughs> Well, it was absolutely brilliant to hear all of that today. It, it's so insightful. I couldn't believe some of the numbers that you were that you were mentioning earlier. Thanks so much for being on the show with us today. Okay, you're very welcome. So just to wrap off our show, as always, we have our webinars. So Yes, so we have one today, and it is the Salon Instagram Masterclass. We already have over 100 registrants for this one. Um, so it's uh, from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. UK Ireland time, uh, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. US Eastern time. And it's an hour-long masterclass with Chris Brennan, our content manager, who you probably know from the Facebook Masterclass. Yep, and some Facebook Lives and stuff like that. Exactly, yeah. And at the same time tomorrow, we have the second of our Salon growth series your highest converting strategy and what that's going to be about is it's going to show you how to put the right strategies in place for up to 22 times your marketing investment back so get on board both of those webinars through facebook yes so if you go onto our facebook you'll find both the links basically for the um the webinars and if you click on get tickets or find tickets it'll drive you to a landing page you just enter your details there and you'll get a link to join in on so if you enjoyed that interview with Alan Stewart, who else do you want to hear? Why not give us some feedback? Check us out on iTunes. Give us a shout. And yeah. That's it for us this week. But we hope you get a lot of insight from today's interview because uh, we certainly did. And we'll catch you next Monday. All the best. <laughs>